0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, on these Tuesday mornings, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And so, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And uh, we've been solely walking through these first several verses of the book of Ephesians. And we've been, over the last couple of weeks, specifically looking at verse 4 and just the, just the phenomenal realities of what it means to be chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. Uh, what I want to do is I want to move into verse 5 this morning, but almost to kind of set this up and give us some context, I want to start in verse 3 and read down through verse 6, which is the blessing section specifically referring to the Father. So these are the blessings that we have in the Father and as I've mentioned over and over and over again, every single blessing that God has for us is found in the person of Jesus. So whether it's the blessings of the Father, blessings of the Son, or blessings of the Spirit, it actually doesn't matter, because the reality is every single blessing finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In other words, everything that God has for us is in Jesus. It's not Jesus plus something, it's Jesus who becomes everything that we need for life and godliness, according to 2 Peter 1.3. So, again, if you have your Bible's Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, Uh, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons to himself through Jesus Christ, according to to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. Now look at verse 5 again. Paul writes that in love he predestined us to adoption as sons to himself through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. Again, we've been walking through these blessing sections, and last time we were looking at this idea that you have been chosen and when did that choosing take place? Oh, the choosing took place even before God said, let there be light. So even before God ever spoke out the words, let there be light, you were the thought upon his mind. Uh, that you were the delight of his heart. That he has a purpose and a plan for you. That you are not an accident. That this isn't a mistake kind of an idea. That God has an agenda. He has a purpose. And he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. And he is choosing you to be like himself. Which is this whole idea of being holy and blameless. Now, now, as you come into verse 5 then, Paul is kind of continuing this idea of what does it mean to be chosen even before the foundation of the world? Well, yes, it's to be holy and blameless, but he adds on this idea of adoption, and he says that he has predestined us unto adoption as sons to himself through Jesus Christ. Uh, that word predestined is fascinating. It's two Greek words put together. Uh, it's the word before, and it's the word Determined. In other words, it's to determine beforehand, or has this idea of to mark out ahead of time. So the whole emphasis then is it is showing God's initiative, that God is the one who's doing the adoption, that this wasn't our choice, that this wasn't, a, you know, this wasn't like the cute little puppies down at the pet store, right, who, who someone walks in, the, walks in the door, and they're all jumping up and down saying, choose me, choose me, choose me, right? And the person's like, well, maybe I will. They are kind of cute. Right? That's not how God did this whole adoption thing. How did he do adoption? He was determined. He had set a purpose in place that he said, I am only going to go down and I'm going to adopt. That that I am driving the initiative for the adoption. That he is determined beforehand. This wasn't like he saw you and then was stirred going, oh, I guess I will. That he had already predetermined that he's going to choose and adopt you. Isn't that a great thought? That you're not like a, oh, an afterthought. That you are his you are part of the agenda of what he's doing. And he has determined beforehand that he wants to adopt you. You realize that one of God's big purpose and plans for humanity is relationship and life. As you begin to walk through all of just all of the biblical account, you just have this overwhelming thrust that God is interested in relationship and life, that he wants to give you life, he wants to have relationship with you. Ah, you look at Adam and Eve. And here's God, he creates Adam and Eve. And even in the very beginning, do you realize that their lives were marked by relationship? That they would walk with God in the cool of the day. That they had this intimacy with the living God. And I loved what Ian Thomas said, that when when God, here's an invisible God, and he makes a visible, physical world, and how is an invisible God gonna show himself to a physical, visible world? Well, he creates a physical, physical, visible man to showcase an invisible God to the physical, visible world so that the physical, visible world can see the invisible God through the physical, visible man. Isn't that awesome? That's exciting and confusing. But all that to say is God who is invisible, we, 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 we understand that. And now we do see God in human form in Jesus, which is, that's a whole other study, but that's, that's amazing. But here's an invisible God who creates Everything and he says, I I want to be known, I want to have relationship. So, how does he do that? He creates you to be the showcase of the or the or the the vessel through which he can showcase himself through. And in so doing, he he longs to have relationship with you. So not only are you the vessel through which you are to showcase to the entire universe who he is, but in so doing, he wants to have relationship with you. That God is interested in relationship and life. And yet, what took place? Well, we rebelled. We shook our fist in his face. We chose our own way. We we decided that we would rather have sin than the pleasures of God, which means there's a separation. And what you see moving from that point forward is that in the midst of our rebellion and our sin, God has an agenda. He has a purpose. He has a plan, and that is to bring about restoration and bring us back into fellowship of life and relationship, which is beautiful. Beautiful. I love this verse in Romans 5, 8. And you know it well, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That here we are shaking our fists in God's face saying, I want it my way. I want to do my own thing. And in the midst of my rebellion, in the midst of my rejection of who he is, he dies. For me. That's phenomenal. I'll give you a few other ones. Uh, Maybe the most... Well known verse, but John 3 16. For God so loved the world, he loved the world. And what's the world doing? The world is in rebellion. And yet God loved the world. So much that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Second Peter 3:9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is patient or long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Oh, so awesome. So God has this desire for a relationship with us, and he has determined beforehand that we should be adopted as children. And you realize just even the word adoption has this idea of, of not a part of a family. In other words, God has, and we understand God's fully complete in himself. He does not need anything outside of himself. We, hey, we understand that. And yet here's God and in his little, if you want to call it a, a family, he looks and says, oh, you're not a part of it. And I want to drag you in and I want to adopt you so that, hey, you could be a part of this family. This this relationship thing is going on. So you are not a part of it. And what is he doing? He is seeking you out. He is determined beforehand that you will be dragged in and have relationship with the king of the universe. That is awesome. And, and if you, we don't have time to get into all this, but when you get into this idea of even like, the choosing before the foundation of the world, or this idea of adoption, what is amazing is that God Himself is the focus and the goal of the choosing. That He is the focus and the goal of, of the adoption. That this is not about you, this is all about Him. And yet, you get to experience the, the, the benefits, the pleasures, the. What would be the word? All the benefits. I keep saying that word, but I guess that's the, the word in my head. All the benefits. Of, of God, you get to participate. You get to have because of this adoption. Now, you don't become God. We understand that. Praise the Lord. We don't want you as God. So hey, you don't become God, but the God of the universe is inviting you in into relationship, and you have all the benefits of that family in the midst of the adoption. But again, you're not the focus. He's the focus. Now, as you get into this idea of adoption, uh, we know adoption is phenomenal. And especially around here, we love adoption. We have people adopting all the time, and we just, oh, we love that. But what's interesting is you get into this idea of adoption in the passage, that here is, here's, the, here's God, he has he adopted you in. What's amazing is Paul is hinting at this idea of the Roman culture adoption in this whole thing. That when you, when you study out Roman adoption, it's fascinating that it's like Paul is using what was going on in the Roman world for adoption to talk about what God has done for you. So let me kind of walk you through this, because I just think that once you get into this and begin to see even the Roman adoption thing, it starts to bring some more clarity to what God has done in our lives. So in the Roman culture, if a man was going to adopt this child, they would go through this huge, elaborate process. Now, it's the Romans. They love all the pomp. They love, you know, they just love ceremony. They love, you know, balloons and confetti and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if they had that, but they would have loved it. You know, so, so they would go down and they would have the biological father and they would have the adoptive father come in and stand before the magistrate, before this judge. And uh, the, the new adoptive father would say, hey, I, I want to adopt this child. Now, the biological father, it's interesting that the biological father, in front of the whole court case thing, would literally sell his son to the new father and then buy him back. And then he would sell him to the new father... And buy him back and then on the third time the the biological father would sell the son or the or whoever's the child to the new father and from that point forward it was declared that you've given up every right to buy the child back in other words hey we've gone through this process and hey you've hey you've sold and you bought back you sold and you bought back and so hey you're selling you'll never have another chance to buy back so you've given up your rights as a biological father, you have no rights, you have no authority, you have no voice, you can never claim, you cannot say, well, he's really my son, you've given up all that. Why, because you've, you've gone through the process, and hey, we gave you two chances if you really wanna keep them. And hey, you gave up your chances, so pssst, you're done. And you, are, you have officially and legally sold that child. And this whole process, they would use the weights and the scales, and they would use copper, copper weights, apparently. And so all this was taking place. This was all official. This was big pomp, big circumstance kind of stuff. Because, hey, it's the Romans. They love that stuff. Now, after the buying and selling, buying and selling, and buying, or, you know, that whole process, the three-time thing, then the new father would stand before the magistrate and plead his case and basically say, hey, I, I, hey, this is my child. And I, I'm longing to have him as, or, or, or this child as my child. And, 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 and he would make the case for why the child should be his. So the, so the biological, or the, or the first, has given up all the rights, and the second has said, all right, hey, I, I, I really, really want this child. Now at this point, the child, the, the judge makes the determination that, yes, this child is now yours. And get this, I'll just read this. The individual adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in the new family, or daughter, and completely lost all the rights of his old family, in the eyes of the law, he was a brand new person. So new was he that even all of his debts and obligations connected with the previous family were abolished as if they never existed. Isn't that awesome? That was just Roman culture kind of stuff. And Paul saying, hey, look, you have been adopted. Meaning what? The one that had the rights on your life, which we know was death and sin and corruption and the devil. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Hey, the rights that... We, were, we, we gave ourselves over to sin. And so here we are under the authority of sin. And what has, God, what has God done? He has purchased us. He has bought us out of all that. And now the old life, the first, has really relinquished his rights on your life. In so much, in fact, that you have to be known as a new person. is that awesome? Now, that's even more significant when you look at Roman culture and recognize that what was going on even in Roman culture was this idea of the, uh, what was called patria potestis, or however that's pronounced, but it's this idea of the father's power. So I just want to read you this statement from the Roman historian Dio Cassis. So Dio Cassis, this Roman historian, makes this statement talking about the father's ultimate power in the Roman culture. <clears throat> he says this, "'The law of the Romans gives a father "'absolute authority over his son, "'and that for the son's whole life.'" It gives the father authority, if he so chooses, to imprison his son, to scourge him, to make him work on his estate as a slave in chains, even to kill him. The right still continues to exist, even if the son is old enough to plan or to play an effective part in political affairs, even if he's he's been judged worthy to occupy a magistrate's office, and even if he is held in honor by all men. In other words, as long as the father is alive, you are under the authority of the father, And even if you were the most important person in the Roman world, if your father's alive, he could say, I want to kill you. And he had legitimate rights to do so. Isn't that interesting? So if you think about that as the cultural backdrop of which Paul is talking about adoption, you realize that in the Roman world, adoption was really significant. Why, because we didn't want to just, you don't just merely adopt somebody. You you don't merely allow yourself to be adopted by anybody. Why? Because you're really putting yourself under the authority of another individual. Do you realize how beautiful all that is in light of Jesus Christ and what he has done? Paul says, hey, God has had this desire. He has determined beforehand that you are really going to be adopted into his family. So I was, trying to, <coughs> I was trying to find a way to phrase this. And I'm just going to read this because it, it's better than how I to just do it off the cuff. But God has predetermined in love with a passionate zeal and desire to adopt you as his child in order to give you life and have a relationship with you. He has gone through all the legal proceedings of the cross in order to free you from the penalty and the power of sin and to bring you in, not to wash floors and be a servant, but to be a son or a daughter of the king. Your old family life no longer has any hold on you. You are not what you once were. And if you look at that idea in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul is just so aggressive in this language that in Jesus Christ, you are a brand new creation. Hey, you are, you are a new creature. That there's been this line that's been drawn in the sand, and who you once were is no longer who you now are. And yet you may look the same and smell the same, and act, you know all that, thing. you know, you're, you're the same at one level, right? In other words, you don't just, you don't become somebody else. At the same point, you're not who you were. And your voice sounds the same, and you look the same, and you know you smell the same, but you're you're not the same. Why? Because there's there's a brand new reality taking place in your life. You've been adopted, and that which had the rights as the first has relinquished their rights, and he can no longer have a claim on your life. Why? Because you are now in a new family. Now it's true. God is our Lord and Master, and in, in that sense, we are slaves. Hey, we are servants of the King. And yet, God is also our loving father, which means we, we have a relationship with him as children, as beloved sons and daughters of the king. Oh, that's good. And you recognize that you have, all, you have all the legitimate rights as a natural born son or daughter. That the moment you're adopted in, it's not like you're a lesser than. You actually have all the rights of a son and daughter that in the, in, the, in the eyes of at least the Roman world, you were treated and seen as if you were biological. That is an amazing thought if you think about it. Why? Because we have been sons and daughters of, of hell, sons and daughters of darkness, sons and daughters of, of, the, of sin and death, and we, we've been transferred into the kingdom of light, which means we now have the legitimate rights as a, as a child of the light. So if you, if you look at this idea that uh, that whole father power idea, right? The, the father's power in, in the Roman world, that is still true today in the Christian world. Why? Because <clears throat> he has all power and governance over your life. So just as the fathers in the Roman world had, had control and power over their children, hey, our, our father, our loving father, has all power and control over our lives. Um, I'll, I'll just read this. He is now... Speaking of God, God is now to have absolute authority over your life to do as he pleases, just as a Roman father had over his children, which is not something that we are to fear, but we are to delight in because we have a good, loving, and gracious God as our father. And you realize that as a child of this good, gracious, loving father, you recognize that he's going to provide all that you need. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, "Why, why are you getting worried? Hey, why would you worry about life or food or clothing? Do you not recognize that the, 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 the birds or, hey, the flowers, hey, they never worry. Why? Because oh, because God takes care of them. And, hey, we have a good father. Do you not realize that he's going to provide what we need as his children? That he is going to provide protection. That's what a good father does. Hey, he is our strong tower. He is our refuge. He is the horn of our salvation. He is the bedrock of our, our, of our, of our very existence. That as a good father, he's going to give guidance and direction to us. Why? We've been adopted. We are children of the king. Oh, that's awesome. So as a child of the king, I can walk in freedom and victory and triumph. Because I have his life within me. Hey, as a child of the king, I can be marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Why? Because I'm a child of the king and his life is now within me. Uh, Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> uh, Romans 8, 15 through 17 says this. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together it's interesting that in the jewish culture the firstborn was always always received at least 50% of the inheritance and the reason the firstborn always received the 50% and then all the rest of the children split up the remaining of the inheritance is because the firstborn had the responsibility of taking care of the whole family. And therefore, they need the greater provision. And isn't it neat that Jesus Christ is considered the firstborn? That he has received the bulk of the inheritance. No, we have an inheritance, which is him. But he has the inheritance. Why? Because He's to take care of the rest of the family. He is the firstborn of all creation. I just love that idea. Galatians chapter 4 Verses 4 through 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Do you realize you have, you have received all the benefits? of being a legitimate child of God. That we are not legitimate children. Hey, we've been cut off. Why? We were born under sin and death. And yet sin and death has relinquished our rights. God has purchased us by the cross, by his, by his sacrifice and his blood. And literally we've been brought in and adopted as sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And as sons and daughters, we are heirs with Christ. That is awesome. And do you realize that unlike normal natural adoption, that our adoption as believers, we actually get to participate and actually take on his DNA. I, I just love this idea. That in a normal adoption, so Eric has adopted several kids, right? Reese and Lily do not have Eric's DNA. Why? Because he's not their biological father. That they've been adopted. But as Christians, the moment we become adopted, do you realize that it's like we start taking on his DNA? that we get to partake of his character and his attitudes and his nature. and His, We have his life within us, which means his life, with it, which is within us, is now starting to change your DNA, if you will. Second uh, Peter 1.4, I love this passage. Uh, Peter says, by which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That you and I get to participate in the divine nature of God himself. Why? We're adopted. We are taking on his DNA. So exciting. So here's a, I just made a short list, but here's some realities of adoption. Number one, uh, we get to move from death unto life. Amen. Amen. Uh, and then specifically, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, Paul just goes overboard this idea that you move from death into life. That's part of the realities of the adoption. You now get to have life. Uh, number two, you get to participate in this oneness and intimacy with the living God. You get to have relationship with him. And not just relationship like, uh, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you for coffee every other week. But you actually get to experience life with him because he indwells us via his Holy Spirit. Number three, there's this idea that, that the relationship is almost so tight that you begin to look, or you are to start to look like your father. So just like in a natural sense, you know, we look like our parents, but in a spiritual sense, we are to look like God himself. Why? Because he is our father, and his DNA is within us, if you will. His character and his life is within us, which means we need to start, or we need to allow him to start making us more and more like him. And you can literally test the adoption, if you will, in your life. Do you ever look more and more like Jesus? And hey, if your life is looking more and more like his, you realize that's a sign for you that, that God is doing a, a sanctifying work in your soul, and, and he has adopted you. Hey, the Spirit is testifying that you are a child of God. And therefore, there's a, there's a great test. Are you looking more and more like the Father? which goes back to the verse 4 idea of are you holy and blameless? Because if if the reality is, is, if I am in Christ, he's going to be making me more and more. He's called me to be like the one who has called me, right? He's making me holy and blameless before him in love. Which means that, hey, if I'm adopted, I'm going to look more and more and more and more and more like him as the days go by. And then do you realize that another benefit of this whole adoption thing is that you're under the authority, the protection, and the provision of the Father, So you can just relax. A little kid is trusting. Why? Because they know that their needs are being taken care of. A little child is just, they're free in their spirit. Why? Because they know they have loving parents. They don't have to have all the stress. Which is why God keeps saying, hey, you are to be childlike. Not childish. Childlike. Why? Because you are an adopted child. Will you rest? Will you trust our Heavenly Father? Now, Paul says that all of this, uh, all of this stuff, is through Jesus Christ. Uh, The Greek word there is dia, has this idea of through, has the idea of because of, has the idea of of by. In other words, this whole thing, this whole adoption is taking place because of Jesus Christ. All this adoption thing is happening through uh, through the life of Jesus Christ. That he is the channel, if you will. He is the impetus, if you will. He is the source of the adoption. So again, where does the adoption find its climactic focal point? Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of every single blessing that God has for us, even our adoption. is really through Jesus Christ. And I love what Paul says. He says, this is according to the good pleasure of his will. That God is looking at this whole thing and goes, that's good. That I have determined beforehand that I want to bring you in, I want to adopt you, and this is, oh, this is my will and it is good. And just as he looked at creation and said, it's good, this is very good. Do you recognize that he's looking at your adoption? Not as a, oh, I guess I'll take you. I guess nobody else wants you, I'll take you in too. This isn't, you're not a charity case. God has determined beforehand that he would adopt you. And he's looking at this whole adoptions thing saying, oh, this is so good. That's good. So look at the flow of this. As you get into verse three three through five, Paul is saying, hey, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That every spiritual blessing that you have is found in Jesus. That he has chosen you. Even before he spoke, let there be light, you have been chosen before the foundation of the world to be like the one who has chosen you, which is holy and blameless. That in love, he has predestined us unto adoption. He has determined beforehand that you would be brought in and be a son or a daughter of the king of the universe, and this is not a, well, I guess I'll take you. This is a, whoa, I get to have you as a child. Why? Because he longs to have relationship and intimacy with you. And this was all according to his goodwill. Oh, that's amazing. Now, next week we're going to look at verse 6, which is this idea of to the praise, that all of this, is to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. Do you realize that everything that God is doing is for his praise and his glory and his renown? That your life, therefore, is to be to his praise and his glory and his renown. And if you want to study ahead, I'll let you study verse 6. But just as a fresh thought this morning, would you just bask in your adoption? You realize that this isn't a... If you truly saw yourself as an adoption, as an adopted person, that has lost all the claims to your old life, hey, all the old debts that you owed to sin and death, you realize those have been canceled. That you are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And if that is true, wouldn't that not just it change our focus, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that just change how our thought process, wouldn't that change how we talked? Wouldn't that just change how we began to live? And if we realize that while we were yet sinners, here we are shaking our fists in God's face, if he was willing to die for us in that state, do you realize that if we begin to really truly begin to understand what God has done in our life and all that he has changed and transformed and all the debt that he has forgiven? you realize that should just cause a buoyancy of soul that just causes us to go, wow, I love Jesus. So would you live in that reality afresh today, that you are a child of the king of the universe, and you, are to, you actually have access unto his DNA because his life lives within you? Oh, I want that on a whole nother level in my mind. I want to live that out, not just the mere talk. I want to experience that to the fullest level. I want to bask in the fact that I'm a child of the king. And as a child of the king, do you realize we can really enter in to the throne room boldly? There's that great picture. I can't remember which president, but uh, the president was at the desk uh, and then his son was underneath the desk playing with the truck. I don't remember who it was, but it's interesting that you realize that here's the president in this high-level meeting with all these important people from all over the world. And yet his son just bursts into the, the Oval Office and starts playing around with a truck. I mean, it's, doesn't Secret Service keep these kind of people out of the room? Well, yeah, they would keep me out of the room. But they're not going to keep the son. Why? Because of relationship. And you realize that as a son or daughter of the king, we could literally enter in boldly into the throne room of grace. And God's not going to be like, what are you doing here? Like, hello, this is not your scheduled time. Why? Because we are a child. And the moment we burst in, he's like, here you are. Let's hang out. Even if he's in important high-level meetings. Why? Because we are children. So why wouldn't we just want to go spend time with him? Why wouldn't we just enter in boldly and just burst down the doors and be like, hey, I'm here. No. enter reverently, he is still the king of kings and lord of lords. But you have access in. Why? Because you are a child. Which I just love. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Uh, Lord, we just thank you that That you haven't merely bought us as slaves to clean the floors of heaven. That you have purchased us to be sons and daughters. And yes, in one sense, we are slaves. We are servants of you. You are the Lord and Master. And our position towards you is a slave. But it's an amazing thought, Jesus, that you no longer call us slaves but sons. That we have access, that we could enter in boldly into the throne room that we are children of the king and therefore we have all the legitimate rights of a child of the king. Lord, what, is it, what does it fully mean for us to be adopted by you? Somehow could you expand our thinking and could you give us this insight and understanding of the fact that that, the, that which had a hold, that which had a claim upon our life has really given up the claim that, that I, I have really, I have become a new creation in you. And the old is gone, and the new has come, and the old does not have a claim on my life anymore. It is not to have power and authority in my life anymore. That the nature of my life has been shifted and changed, and I no longer have the nature of the, of the old. I have the nature of the new, which is you. So, Lord, may we bask afresh in this nature. That as you indwell our lives through your spirit, that somehow we begin to live like we can never just live on our own that we can walk in triumph and victory. We can have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control as the marks of our life because that life is within us. Oh, may we just, oh, may we surrender afresh. Hey, Lord, would you expand our minds afresh to the reality that we are sons and daughters of you. We love you. Thank you that you have predetermined to adopt us for your purpose and your pleasure. And you look at this whole thing and say, wow, that's good. Because you want to give us life and you want to have relationship with us. Lord, we are so undeserving, and yet we are so thankful for the opportunity and the reality that we have in you